Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hello, my name is Joe Hartley, and I'm the executive pastor of Blue Oaks Church. And the fact that I serve in that role today proves that God has a sense of humor. You see, I was the textbook consumer Christian that Matt talked about a few weeks ago. I attended church as much as I could, but I avoided all entanglements. No small groups, no serving. I thought I was doing enough by attending and giving money. One day, I decided to attend a high school parents' night at the church. During that meeting, they described all the ways that parents could serve the church, but none of them fit me. So I avoided the sign-up sheets and thought I could sneak out undetected like I did most Sunday mornings. But the guy running the meeting was smarter than that. He cornered me, and when I told him nothing fit, I ended up accepting his invitation for coffee the following week. It was during that coffee that I realized that I could easily adapt some leadership development curriculum that I had developed and use it to help the student ministry staff become better leaders. And in so doing, I had a blast working with the staff and learned that I could offer something beyond those predefined roles. You know, through a series of events that happened after serving in this way, that in hindsight almost seemed providential, I ended up helping launch Blue Oaks Church. As a result of being open to the invitation to serve my church, I discovered how I could not only use my spiritual gift of leadership, I also learned that I could bring a whole host of knowledge and experiences to his kingdom here on earth. My story doesn't mean that you have to get into vocational ministry to have significance in your life. My story is simply this, that until you discover and deploy your gifts, you'll never know what God has in store for you. We're in the Stanford locker room today because college football season starts this Saturday. The NFL football season starts next week. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are looking forward to watching a lot of football this season. You know, it's a little strange, though. No child grows up dreaming, I'm going to be a great spectator one day. My heart's desire is to be a tremendous watcher of sports. I mean, we were made to be in the game. Our heart's cry is, put me in the game. It's ironic to me that our society consists of millions of uh, Cheeto-eating, lazy boys sitting couch potatoes who desperately need exercise, uh, watching 22 men run around on a football field who desperately need rest. When we're kids, we just want to be in the game. I can remember when I was on the basketball team in middle school, I mostly sat on the bench and it became clear to me that the whole process of deciding who would play was political. Uh, the coach had his favorites. Uh, they were the guys who were fast and strong and coordinated. Uh, they could shoot and dribble and rebound. And for those purely arbitrary reasons, they got to play the game and become strong athletes. Uh, I sat on the bench and developed character and became a pastor. Uh, God did not create you to sit on the bench. God made you for a purpose. So today we're going to learn together from Jesus what he wants from you and me. Uh, this is a you are needed message. 
so that you know the joy of actually getting put in the game. Uh, so we as a community, as a church, can do what God is calling us to do. We're going to look at a story Jesus told. It's sometimes called the parable of the talents. This is what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once, put them to work, and gave fi gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So this story begins with incredibly good news. And this has a huge impact for your life and mine. The master calls these guys, the actual word in the story is slaves. So they have no money, no property, no career, no prospects. But he says to them, I'm going to give you this unbelievable opportunity. You know, Jesus is a great storyteller. And what would strike his listeners first in the story is the enormity of the money that's being given to these guys. A talent was the biggest figure, the largest unit of accounting in Greek financial transactions. Uh, a talent was worth 10,000 of what were called denarii. A denarius, and we know this actually from another one of Jesus's parables, was about what the average person earned in one day. Uh, now, it's always tricky to translate this into our economy, but here's the best I can do. Uh, let's say an average salary in the Bay Area is about $70,000 a year. Uh, that would equal about $270 a day. So $270 times 10,000 is $2.7 million. Uh, that means uh, even the one talent guy got the equivalent of $2.7 million. I mean, this is the story of a slave who wins the lottery. The idea is this would be like a profit-sharing venture where he could share in the gain. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I mean, this is a, a staggeringly generous master. As Jesus tells the story, everyone listening recognizes how generous this master is. So this is a story about how the God of the gift offers the chance of a lifetime. And I want to pause here and ask you to grab a piece of paper and something to write with. Um, actually, this is a locker room talk. And when you give a locker room uh, talk, you don't invite, you tell people what to do. So just get a piece of paper and something to write with and don't whine about it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you several questions throughout this message. And I'd like you to write down some answers. The first question is, what have I been given? Now, let me give you a few answers to kind of get you started. You're alive. So write the word life. God has given you life. Like, how much is that worth? Next, you have some gifts. Uh, we've been talking about this for the last several weeks. There are things you are good at, like encouraging or planning or leading or a number of other gifts that were given to you by the Holy Spirit. So just write down a couple of them. Then you have a body. Uh, you have energy. You have a level of mental health. Uh, you're in touch with reality. So write down energy and sanity. Then you have experience. Uh, you have what you've learned so far in your lifetime. Uh, write down how old you are, uh, how many years you've been alive, 
Or if you don't, if you don't want to do that, write down uh, how old you think you look on a good day. <laughs> or ask the person next to you if they think you're in touch with reality. Uh, when you have a, then you have financial resources, and you don't have to write down a number. Just write down much compared to most of the the world. Also, you have wounds. Uh, it's a funny thing. God often uses our wounds even more than He uses our strengths. A lot of times, it's people who have lost a child or wrestled with an addiction or uh, gone through a deep depression who are the best able to help other people in that same situation. Uh, because God never wastes a wound. Uh, then you can write down you've been given an education. Uh, you've been given friends, uh, relational networks. Then if you're a follower of Jesus, write down a forgiveness of sins, a, a promise of eternal life, because this Jesus who tells this story also died for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised for our eternal hope. So I begin by asking, what have I been given? And most of us have to realize it's so much. And then the question is, what will I do with what I've been given? In fact, the word Jesus uses to describe the, the master's generosity is he entrusts. In other words, this is not something he does just for the benefit of the servants. It's part of the master's larger and nobler, nobler purpose. Whatever the Lord gives me now, uh, he will ask me about later. My mind, my body, my, my gifts, my imagination, my sexuality, my stuff, my resources, my time. Whatever the Lord gives me now, he will ask about later. So back to the story. The master gives his servants all this money. Now here's a real striking moment. Did you notice the instruction, instructions he gives to the servants? He doesn't. He, there, he doesn't give any instructions at all. He, he doesn't say, start this business or invest in this fund. He gives them tremendous freedom. He basically says to them, I want you to exercise initiative. You take responsibility. You create, you dream, you dare, try, risk. Apparently, the master doesn't just want to use them to grow his money. He wants to use his money to grow them. Apparently, God wants you to dream about how you can serve him. Three servants get this opportunity. Two of them go to bed that night and their minds are racing. They can't stop dreaming about what they might do with this once in a lifetime opportunity. Jesus said, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put them to work and gave, gained five more. He uses three verbs to describe him. And anyone who looked at that first servant knew how serious he was about this opportunity. He went immediately, at once. It's like he can't wait. It's like uh, he's scared to death that the master might change his mind. But when the third servant went to bed, his mind was not racing. The next morning he got up, Jesus said, but the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. From that day on till the master returned, his life was not a single bit different than it had been before this amazing gift. Uh, this amazing gift didn't prompt any dreams or uh, any dares or risk at all. It didn't change him at all. I was talking to a friend recently about sin and he was saying how usually he thought about sins of commission, you know, wrong things we do, lying, cheating, stealing, and so on. But in the Bible, the most serious sins are often sins of omission. 
the things I don't do, the love I don't offer, the words I don't say, the service I don't give, the gratitude I don't experience, the, the risk I refuse to take. The sin of the third servant is very serious, but it's not the sin of what he did, it's the sin of what he did not do. He did not make his life a bold adventure of faithfulness to God. He did not say yes to the great divine invitation. And notice, this isn't a, a failure he did just once. I mean, every morning when he woke up, he was sitting on a treasure for the master. Every morning, uh, he had this new opportunity to put it to glorious use. Every morning, he said, nope, I, I think I'll keep it buried for, buried for one more day. Nope, I, I think I'll, I'll not do anything for the master who gave me everything. I was listening to another pastor talk about a very telling phrase for what life can sink into. Uh, he called it the same old, same old. Day after day after day after day, you wake up at the same old time, get out of the same old bed, go to the same old bathroom, look in the same old mirror, shave the same old face, take the same old shower, dry off with the same old towel, walk into the same old kitchen, pour the same old cereal into the same old bowl, kiss the same old wife on the same old cheek, get into the same old car, drive off to the same old job, sit in the same old chair, listen to the same old boss tell the same old jokes, laugh the same old way, clock out at the same old time, get back in the same old car, drive down the same old road to the same old house through the same old door, eat the same old dinner, fall asleep in the same old chair watching the same old news. Get up and get in the same old bed, ask your wife the same old question, get the same old answer, roll over, go back to sleep, and that's it. From one day to the next. Same old, same old. See, for years, these servants did the same old task in the same old order, in the same old way, and got the same old results until one day the master interrupts their lives with his explosive grace, this gift of grace. And for two of them, they realize they can never go back to same old, same old again. Which leads us to the next question. And it's a real personal question for every one of us. What do I dream about doing for God? What do I dream about doing for God? We'll talk about this in just a moment. I love what Matt said earlier, that the master wasn't using the servants to grow his money. He was using his money to grow them. The same is true with God and the gifts and talents he gives. He's not only interested in what you can do for him or what you'll accomplish on his behalf. He's also interested in your personal spiritual growth. The beauty of using your God-given gifts and talents is that you become more like Jesus in every area of your life. It changes your relationship, it impacts your priorities, fills your thoughts with hope and peace and joy. Spiritual growth is a lifelong process of transformation as you place God in the very center of who you are. There are many spiritual practices or disciplines you can take part in that contribute to your growth. Things such as prayer, fasting, daily Bible reading, worship, solitude, and serving, just to name a few. If you would like to know more about spiritual practices, 
email me at scotthouse at blueoakschurch.org. And I would love to send you some resources that I believe will either kickstart or contribute to your spiritual journey with Jesus. Well, two of these servants realize they can't go back to the same old, same old. Let's rejoin Matt as we continue looking at the questions from this parable. All right, so the next question is, what do I dream about doing for God? What is it that if you could do this thing for God, I mean, what would keep you up at night? You could encourage a lonely person and make their life different. You could foster a child and their whole existence would change. You could feed the homeless. You could help two people who are fighting to reconcile. You could take a moment and notice a kid that everyone else just looks past, but you could see in him or her what God sees in him or her. You could fight sex trafficking because God doesn't want that to happen to any human being. You could tutor a child because God cares about the mind of every child. You could befriend a widow. You could start a small group. You could pray for someone every day. You can help some young, unwed teenage mom. You can innovate technology for the kingdom of God. I mean, you could mentor a high school student or you could, if you're a high school student, mentor a middle school student. You could use artistic gifts, maybe of music or design or, or something like that to help people worship God. You can get involved with serving the poor in your community or around the world. You could just be so happy in Jesus that people ask you, you know, why are you so happy? And then you tell them. It doesn't have to look flashy or impressive. In fact, usually the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. I was thinking about this this week. What matters is not your capacity for achievement. What matters is your capacity for God. I want to say that again because we live in such a performance, achievement, idolizing part of the world. What matters is not your capacity for achievement. What matters is your capacity for God. Augustine used to say that human beings are what he called capex day. That is, you were made with a capacity for God, to know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to notice God in all the good gifts and moments of life, to serve him, to partner with God every moment of the day. How big is your uh, capex day, your capacity for God? No one knows. You don't know. You know, when, I'm, when I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm worried, I can pray the 23rd Psalm and I'm growing in my capacity for God to, to experience the Lord as my shepherd. When I have money, I can give some of it away to someone in need and I grow in my capacity for God. A friend of mine used a phrase a while ago that really stuck with me. Uh, he talked about training to love people. That kind of stayed with me. When I'm with someone, I can actually listen to them. I can actually work to do things that would be interpreted as loving gestures. I can train to love people. Now, I won't always get it perfect, but I can grow in my capacity for God. This leads to the next question. What would keep me from being a good and faithful servant? That's what the master calls these guys, good and faithful servants. What could keep me from that? For the, for the third servant, his problem, interestingly enough, isn't greed, it's fear. He's afraid uh, the master is a hard man. He's afraid to risk his talent. 
A friend of mine is a businessman and he was talking about this parable not long ago and he said it's often taught as a parable about stewardship. It's not mostly about stewardship, it's about risk. This is a guy who's afraid to take a risk. He's afraid that he might fail. See, when you're doing something bold for God, you don't have to worry about failure. A lot of people have a secret thought like this. Uh, I would like to be a, a bold, adventuresome, courageous person who never fails. <laughs> well, good luck with that. I mean, if you risk, you will fail. That's why they call it risk. The problem is the third for the third servant, like so many of us, he misunderstands God. Because when I understand how good and how big God is, then my apparent success or failure doesn't have to weigh me down at all. There's a, a very striking contrast in the describing the behavior of the third servant versus the other two. And this has a lot to do with your life and my life. Jesus says the first two servants went out. In other words, uh, they, they went to get something done. The third one went away. The first two servants went to work. The third servant dug a hole. The first two servants won more. The third one hid his talent. It's very striking the language he uses for the third guy. He goes away, he digs a hole, and he hides his talent. There was actually a religious community in Israel called the Qumran community. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually kept by them. Uh, they took their faith in God, their religion, uh, very seriously. But actually, partly because of that, they gave up on the world. They isolated themselves, and each of the verbs that Jesus uses to describe the third servant actually describes what they did. Scholars say that, they, uh, that it may well be that Jesus is actually uh, commenting on the misguided notion of the Qumran community. They went away. That is, they chose to withdraw from society uh, in the world. They dug a hole. Uh, this community actually literally uh, burrowed into caves. Uh, we get the Dead Sea Scrolls from some of those caves where they dug holes and lived their lives. They hid their talent. Whatever gift God had given them in that community, uh, and they had a lot. I mean, they knew the scripture really well. Uh, they did not offer those gifts to the world around them. Uh, no one... Uh, experienced what they had to offer, not the Israelites, not the Romans, not the Samaritans. They just hid them. They thought they were winning, but Jesus thought they were a disaster. They thought they were honoring God. Jesus said they were doing the opposite of what God wanted. It's so important for us as a church to get this. You can sometimes see this dynamic, this loss of mission in other places in society. For example, libraries. Uh, remember before ebooks when there used to be these things called libraries? Uh, the purpose of a library was, and actually still is, make books accessible to people. The purpose is to, is to get books out of the library into people's hands and minds. Now, all kinds of work is done to help with this. Uh, there's a very complex system of ordering books. It's called the Dewey Decimal System. And so people can find just the right book that they're looking for. Uh, but a strange thing happens. Sometimes it is, it's as if the librarians get together on Monday and they before the library opens and they decide when people come in the library, the people are actually the problem. Uh, 
because they take books off the shelves, they get them out of order, they don't revere the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, they make it more work to keep things tidy and neat. It's almost as if the librarians don't want people in the library. See, the whole purpose of a library is to get books, books out of the library. I mean, the measure of a great library is not how tidy the shelves are with the books on it. It's how literate and how well-read and how thoughtful the community is. Jesus is saying, church, I did not give you these gifts for you to keep in a hole and live life for yourself. Right now, we're in a locker room. Uh, we gather in a locker room every week, and team needs to do, teams need to do that. Uh, we need to have a locker room talk. But it's very important to remember the locker room is not where the game is played. It's played on the field. Imagine a team saying, you know, we're declaring ourselves the winner because we had a great locker room meeting. You know, we love the locker room. We get all fired up in the locker room. The music is great. The lockers are superb. The coach's talk was inspirational. You know, it's really great. We should have more people come to the locker room. It doesn't matter how many people are in the locker room. You don't win the game in the locker room. You win the game on the field. The measure of our church is not what happens when our church is gathered, whether that's online or in person. It's what happens when our church gets out of the church and goes into the world. The world really doesn't care how good our locker room meetings are. When people get loved, when the presence of Jesus gets released into the world, wherever you are, your school, your home, your neighborhood, your office, when homeless people get something to eat and a place to stay and someone who cares about them, when resources get shared instead of hoarded, when uh, promises get kept, when uh, people who are in jail uh, who are forgotten have someone who come to visit them and pray for them and care for them, when uh, generations, instead of being divided, actually come together and know and love each other, when marriages are made healthy and strong, when uh, people work for their boss at, at Google or Workday or Starbucks or open heart kitchen or a car wash as heartily as if they were working for the Lord. You know, when a little child in Ethiopia gets medical care in Jesus's name, when uh, prayers are bold and faith is strong and Jesus is lifted up and up there comes down here, I mean, that's when the church is doing really well. That's why we're here. It's not to take what God has given to us and to go put it in a hole and just live for me. And the world really doesn't care much about how good our locker room meetings are or how many people come to the locker room. It's about what happens in the world that God loves so much that he gave his only begotten son so that he could give his life for the world. This leads to the last question. What words do I want to hear from God when my life is over? Again, like with the servants in this story, no one is going to come along and figure this one out for you. The problem with the third servant is he had all kinds of excuses and reasons why he never invested his life for the master. I knew you were a hard guy. I was afraid. This is your one and only life. This is it. What next step do you need to take to get in the game? Now, as you get real clear on all that God has given you, uh, maybe you don't have a dream at all right now, 
God will give you a dream. God is a dream giver. The writers of scripture say that when the spirit falls on people, one of the signs of that is that old people dream dreams and young men and women have visions. Maybe you need to pray and ask, God, would you help me to know how to serve you? Would you help me to have a dream to make my life about more than just my life? Maybe you have a dream. Maybe you have some sense of what you could do, but you've kept it a secret. You've been kind of digging a hole and you need to tell someone else so that you're accountable and so they can pray with you. Maybe you need to tell someone in your small group. Maybe uh, you need to tell someone on staff at our church. If we can help you with that, man, we would love to do that. Maybe you've been afraid. Maybe it's just time to ask God for courage and actually take a risk, actually make a commitment to take the next step. Here's the dream I'd like uh, to be a part of, because when I think about our church and what God has given, I mean, he has been so good to us. He has been so good to us. What if we become known as a place where everyone in our church who claims to follow Jesus, who names the name of Christ said, God, I am willing to risk all you have been so generous to give me to do something loving and humble and good for you. What if every one of us were to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant? What if we were playing not for an earthly prize, not for a Super Bowl trophy, not for a stadium full of people, not for a big pile of money, but to stand before our maker, our creator, and our redeemer one day and have him look us in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. I hope God makes that so for us. I hope God makes that so for you. All right, let me pray for you and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. God, I ask that you would just continue to stir in our hearts, help us to remember this parable, the parable of the talents, and help us to remember all that you have given us and that one day we will be accountable for that. So help us to use our time and our resources and the gifts that you've given us wisely in this life so that we can serve well, so that we can make an impact for your kingdom because that's why you've given us so much. Help us to live our lives the, the way that you want us to live our lives. Help us to live wisely with the resources and the gifts and the time and the energy and the talent that you've given us. Uh, may we make uh, a difference for you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.